Well, welcome. We are glad you're here. Uh, glad, especially if you're new with us, we're happy to have you with us this morning. We hope that you might, uh, if you don't already have a home church, we hope to maybe see you next Sunday. Come back. Hey, sister, how are you? Good. Yes, you are. You are blessed. Because you know Christ, right? That's why. Well, as way of tradition, let's see if this works. He is risen. Okay. He is risen indeed. The resurrection of Jesus, something we are celebrating uh, formally, because the reality is the resurrection of Christ is a celebration for the Christian each and every Sunday, each and every day of our lives. But we take time as a church, and it has been the case uh, for a very long time now, to come together and focus in on this one aspect of our Lord and Savior, his resurrection. And I might add, having occurred on Sunday, the resurrection, that then became the day of the week that the people of God would gather together to worship their Lord. It was that significant. Sunday became the day of worship because that was the day the Lord rose again. What is it, though? What is it, though, that makes the resurrection of Jesus so important? Why do we celebrate? Why do we rejoice? Why do we gather on that day? What's the big deal? Other than the obvious, the obvious, that a man who repeatedly said, listen, I'm going to be murdered, but I will rise again from the dead, and actually did just that. That's a pretty big deal, for sure. And then, of course, there is the other mind-blowing fact of the resurrection, that when he came back from the dead, it wasn't temporary. It wasn't temporary. I'm sure you've heard stories of a people, appears anyway, to have actually been dead and then come back on an operating table or in a hospital or wherever right? And I believe probably some of those stories are true, for sure. But then they died again, right? They went on to die at some point. No, when Jesus came back from the dead, it wasn't temporary. It was permanent, meaning, meaning a mortal man became immortal. That's huge. That's significant. Jesus, as we say, lives, right? He lives. Not as a disembodied spirit. He's not floating around as a spirit. But he lives in his body as an immortal man. He has hands and feet and flesh and bones, as we heard this morning, Luke 24, 39, when he was trying to explain to his bewildered disciples that here he is, just as he said he would be resurrected again bodily. For Jesus, there is no ashes to ashes and dust to dust. You remember, or maybe you don't, but I'll remind some of you and inform some of you for the first time. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God said, 
to Adam. This is part of the curse, part of the penalty for their rebellion against their creator. God said, by the sweat of your face in Genesis 3.19, you shall eat bread. Work is going to be hard for you, Adam. The ground that I gave you to till and to care for and to feed you is not going to yield itself easily to you. But you are going to work hard now. It's frustrated. The world is now frustrated because not only were you now cursed, Adam, but so is the world that I put you in to care for because of your sin. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, as you might remember from the account in Genesis. Out of the ground, God took the dirt and made man. And he says this, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so it has been forever. We'll return back to the ground. And eventually, given enough time, dissolve into dust. But not Jesus. But not Jesus. The curse was canceled as seen in his bodily resurrection. Well, those are some of the just the obvious things that make the resurrection of a man, this man, Jesus, this permanent status of living forever, a big deal, significant, weighty, wow. Not our experience, certainly, but it was the experience of Jesus. But this morning, I, I want to focus on, on something else. I want to focus on just one of the other things that, that makes the resurrection of Jesus such a big deal. And it is something that, although you should, you might not immediately connect with the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what I just spoke of, you all are very aware of that. That's right. He rose again, bodily. He's still living. His body did, is not decaying. He is immortal. Yeah, great. And there may be other things that you connect with the resurrection of Jesus that are very significant. He conquered death. Yes, right? But this one, maybe not. Maybe you don't immediately think about this when you're thinking about the resurrection of the Lord. And, and why do I say that? Why, do, why might I even suggest that? Well, let me explain. The Bible is certainly not just another book, right? It is a book, but it's certainly not just another book among the many books. But there is a sense in which the Bible should be read like any other book. What do you mean? Well... That is to read it from left to right. You're like, wow, I came here on Easter morning to hear this. Yep, that's what you're going to get. So, first chapter, if you will, Genesis. Last chapter, Revelation, from left to right. However, in my experience, I have found that it is not uncommon at all for folks, even Christian folks, to be much more familiar with the latter and smaller part of the Bible, that is the New Testament, than they are with the first 
and much larger part of the Bible, that is the Old Testament. And yet, and yet, the Old Testament contains roughly 75% of the content of the Bible and the story found therein. Let me show you, let me just illustrate that to you to try to drive home my point. Here's a Bible. Here's a marker at the New Testament section. That's the old. This is the new. This is the new. And yet, many folks are maybe not even familiar at all with the old or somewhat familiar. Let me ask you a question. How well would you understand a two-hour movie if you only saw the last 30 minutes of it? Or, or, okay, or if you kind of slept through the, the first hour and a half of it, like I did Dumbo. <laughs> Just, I don't know. Didn't grip me. A, a full understanding of the resurrection of Jesus, which, if you will, if you will, occurred in the last 30 minutes of the two-hour movie, really requires... Familiarity with the first hour and a half of the movie in order to really, to really understand what's going on. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, he's, he rose. Oh, cool, he said he would. But what else, what was behind this, this huge, significant, radical, awesome event? Well, in our text today, in Acts, which is found in the New Testament. And if you haven't turned there, let me invite you to turn there now. Acts chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 32, along with some other passages, but that's the primary one. And if you don't have a Bible, there's likely a blue Bible, maybe, located underneath the seat around you. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 910, and that will bring you to our text for today. But in this text, the Apostle Peter a Jewish man who knew the Old Testament well, because that was their Bible, that's what they had in the day before the New Testament was written, he speaks about the resurrection of Jesus and rightly, rightly connects the resurrection of Jesus with significant matters revealed in the Old Testament. And in doing so, provides a reason a really great reason for why the resurrection of Jesus was and is such a big deal. And especially, and especially so for all of us, because I doubt that's all of us in here, but for all of us who are in here who are in Christ and who are trusting in, and by that I mean trusting in and following the Lord Jesus. For us, this is a really big deal. And so if we don't understand it, if we don't get it, we're missing out on a, a really significant piece of the resurrection. Now, before reading our text in Acts, I want to just quickly provide you a little context. And I'm going to have to, for those of you who are new, I'm going to go extra even more fast than I normally do. I do not, I'm just going to tell you, like, I can't keep up with that guy. I have to this morning because we're a little short on time and those of you who know me, it doesn't seem to matter how much time I have. I always go over. But I'm even shorter this morning, so I'm going to speed it up. But trust me, 
If you come back next Sunday, I'll slow it back down again. Still go over, but I'll slow down. Okay, here we go. Um, I want to give you a little context. I want to give you a little context before we read our section in Acts. And I also want to Again, just say, I don't have enough time to dive into all the glorious details concerning what we're going to look at, but I hope today that it might prompt you, if you're not aware, to dive in yourself further into the matter, because it's wonderful, it's wonderful. So, which will require Old Testament reading, okay? Acts, in Acts 1, uh, 3 through 4, you can, if you're in Acts, you can just let your eyes glance over to Acts 1. So this is post-resurrection now. This is where we are in history. A meaning, the resurrection has occurred, but Jesus has not yet ascended. Post-resurrection, um, well, he has. Well, yeah, okay, it's post-resurrection. I'll just say that. So here it is. Chapter 1, verse 3. He, that is Jesus, presented himself alive to them, that is the apostles, after his suffering, that is his death on the cross, his saving death on the cross, by many proofs. Okay? So he presented himself alive and by many proofs, appearing to them, the apostles, during 40 days. So he's resurrected. He died three days later, resurrected now for 40 days during this period of time, post-resurrection. He's walking around on the earth. He's alive. He's speaking with his disciples, his apostles. And for 40 days, he was speaking to them about the what? Note that. 40 days he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God before he heads back to heaven. Not a new subject. Not a new subject. The Old Testament is filled with data concerning the kingdom of God. Then in verse 4. Now remember, he's about, to, he's about to grant them, put them on mission, empower them for that mission, and he talks to them for 40 days during this time about what? Yeah, the kingdom of God. Just want to make sure you didn't miss it. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, okay? So he's going to ascend, go back to be with the Father, and the Father's going to fulfill his promise that he made. We'll get to that in a second. First, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Here's a book. I've mentioned it before. It's called, it's a recently newer book and a fantastic work. It's called He Will Reign Forever, A Biblical Theology of the Kingdom of God. Here it is. Here it is. Do yourself a favor, Christian. Get it and read it from cover to cover, okay? Let me read something from the kingdom of God. I'll read a few things from this book. He says, the author says, a very powerful argument can be made that the kingdom of God is the central and unifying theme of Scripture. I agree. And it is the climactic fulfillment of the story of redemption. The kingdom of God is both the grand theme of Scripture and the solution for all that's wrong. And if some of you go, what? What is that about? You need to find out what that's about if you don't know. Sadly, he says, the average Christian today has no clear concept of the kingdom, what it is, why it is important, or why Christ wanted us to pray that the Lord would hasten its coming. Matthew 6.10. Most Christians' concepts of the kingdom are 
over-spiritualized, too abstract, and lacking in biblical substance. And I entirely agree. We'll come back to that. What was the promise of the Father? Well, earlier, the earlier reading our dear brother Eric did from Luke 24, after Jesus gave the apostles their mission, preached the gospel to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, preached the forgiveness of sins in Christ, he said in verse 49 of Luke 24, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay? With power from on high. So Jesus' followers now would be empowered by the Holy Spirit for the mission that he gave them, which is a mission that extends, it wasn't just for them, but it was to extend to every new follower of Christ who would then also be empowered by the Holy Spirit to achieve the mission, okay? To make disciples of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of him. Now, when you get to chapter 2 of Acts, we're not to our text yet, when you get to chapter 2, we read that the fulfillment of this promise occurred on the day of Pentecost. That's chapter 2, verse 1. Pentecost, I'm going fast. It was one of three annual feasts celebrated by the nation of Israel. It occurred 50 days after Passover. When was Jesus crucified? Around Passover, over Passover, in that area, in that time zone, Passover, okay? 50 days later now, that's where we are in the story. Remember now, Jesus died during the Passover, rose again three days later, spent 40 days talking to his disciples about what? The kingdom of God. And now... It's Pentecost, and the promise of the Father is going to be fulfilled. And as was, which is for them to be empowered to make disciples of all the nations. Now, as was tradition, Jewish men from every nation under heaven, that's the words of chapter 2, verse 5, in other words, from all over, all the other places that they lived, would make a pilgrimage to Israel, to Jerusalem. And so they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this one of these feasts, which is this one or one of the three feasts, this one being Pentecost and Passover, flowing out of Passover. So the nation, if you will, Jewish men from all over are there. They're gathered there, okay? Peter who was there as well in Jerusalem. Why was he there? Because Jesus said, don't go anywhere, right? Don't leave. Don't take off yet. Just stay here because the promise of the Father is coming. And he's there as well because they're celebrating or will be celebrating the feast. Peter, after this promise occurs, stood up, and we're not going to look at that this morning, but he stood up to explain to the amazed and perplexed those are the words of 2.12, the amazed and perplexed crowds. He explains to them what had just occurred when the apostles and the other followers of Jesus that were there, we're told there's 120 in number, plus the apostles. He explains what just occurred for them, for the crowds, when they were clothed with power from on high. And again, don't have time to get into all that, but you'll remember the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak in a language that they didn't know, but that the people from all over who spoke different languages did know, and they spoke forth the wonders and glories of God Almighty. 
which in and of itself is communicating things that we can't get into right now. There's a purpose behind all of that. Here's all I'm doing for you. Peter's explanation now to the Jewish crowds of, hey, I need to explain to you what just happened because you're confused. They even said, hey, are these guys drunk? Right? Because they were speaking forth the languages and they, they don't even know that. Like, what is going on? And Peter jokes and says, are you kidding? It's only nine in the morning. Of course, they're not drunk. But that's actually in the text. It's in the text. Which means you can't drink at nine in the morning. I'm just going to... It's biblical. You can't. You can't do that. It's a biblical mandate. Um, just want to make sure you're still with me. That's all. So Peter's explanation now to this Jewish crowd draws on a prophecy by Joel. A prophecy recorded in the Old Testament. Peter now, he's spoken. He explains what just took place. He's trying to He's trying to bring the Jewish nation along. You just murdered your Messiah. So now he's, and we've been with them for the last 40 days. Now he's trying to say, you know, guys, let me help you understand. You missed it. All right. So he goes back to the Old Testament, which the Jewish people knew. They, they knew it. They were at least familiar with it. Even if they didn't always get it right, they were familiar with it. So he goes back. He, he, he uses, he relies on the prophecy by Joel continuing now to speak to the crowds gathered there in Jerusalem. So there they are. He turns now, Peter does, to the matter of Jesus. And again, he draws on his knowledge of the Old Testament to help the crowds, the Jewish crowds, rightly understand this Jesus, this resurrected one. Here we go, Acts 2, 22. You ready? Oh, what? I heard you. Are you ready? All right. This is the good part. Enough of me talking. Now we'll look at the word of God. And it's glorious. It's glorious. Verse 22. This is Peter. This is Peter. Bull Peter. Empowered by the spirit Peter. Whew. I can't wait to meet him. Men of Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, I'm going to make a few comments as we go, because you know I can't help myself. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a little insignificant nothing village, about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, that's where Jesus lives. So he was known as Jesus of Nazareth, you know, a know-nothing village. Just look at the contrast, though, as we read through. I mean, in fact, it's so know-nothing that in John 1, when Philip, it says, when Philip found Nathanael and said to him, hey, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets, that's the Old Testament, it's a way of referring to the Old Testament, wrote, we found him. And then he says, and then he just details who him is, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, we found him, the Messiah, the Christ. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the kind of place Nazareth was, right? But then, look at the contrast. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth out of a little know-nothing town. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. And when you think of, when you see the word signs, 
Think of signs like you see on the street. They point you to something, right? They tell you. They, so as one writer points out, the mighty works Jesus did, they pointed beyond themselves. It's not, you're not all supposed to get all worked up about the works themselves, but what are they telling you about this person? They're pointing to something, something significant about the one doing these mighty works. They are signs. And of course, they were to indicate that he indeed was the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, the one the Old Testament had spoken of. All right? Signs. That God did through him, Jesus, in your midst. As you yourselves know. I'm not telling you something you don't know. This has gone all over the land. People saw it with their own eyes. They heard about it. You know what he did. And then he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, the Jews, the Jewish people as a whole, the nation, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's probably a reference to the Roman authorities. Now, this is where it's really interesting. Yeah, we know. We killed. Yep, he's dead. And then he says, God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death. Another translation says, putting an end to the agony of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I like another way of translation puts it, Bible translation. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Or another one says, for death could not keep him in its grip. Now, you ready? What's the next word of verse, there it is. What's the first word of verse 25? For, you know what that means? For I'm going to explain what I just said. Let me explain, Lucy. It's that. Some of you got it, some of you didn't, it's okay. I love Lucy. So, I will explain why I said that. Why I said what? That it was, in, it was not possible for him to be held by it. What is it? Death. I'm going to explain it now to you. For David, who's he talking about? Okay, so see, some of you are familiar with the Old Testament, right? Of course, if you read the New Testament, his name pops up everywhere. But if you haven't read the Old, you're, you're missing something. For David says concerning him, him is Jesus of Nazareth. Peter now goes on to quote the words of King David found in Psalm 16. Guess what that is? An Old Testament book. I saw the Lord. Here it is. Here's the quote. I saw the Lord always before me. This is what David said. But he's saying that David is saying this about him, Jesus of Nazareth. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I, might not, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Hades, the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. Decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now verse 29. Brothers, Peter says. He quoted that. Brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. What is he saying? What's he doing? He's saying, what I just read to you is not completely true of King David. And so you, while you may have been thinking that he was speaking only or completely about himself, he must be speaking about, ultimately, someone else. Because he's dead. And we, there's his body. He is in the place of the dead. And his body has seen corruption. Now being 900 or so years later. Since he died, it was that long ago. So he's as good as gone. It's ashes to ashes. His body has seen corruption. So this is not true, David. Then 30. Being therefore a prophet, he's speaking of David, and knowing, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that he, God, would set one of his descendants, David's descendants, on the throne, the throne of David, verse 31, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he, Christ, was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh His flesh see corruption. As I said, David's body did decay. And again, he's quoting the words of Psalm 1610. And then he closes with, or he still goes on to talk, but for the sake of this message today, he ends with, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We just spent 40 days with him. Speaking about, Okay, so we're just going to focus on verse 30. What is this about? God having sworn with an oath to David that he would set one of his descendants on David's throne. What is this about? And how is this connected with the resurrection of Jesus? And why does it make the resurrection of Jesus such a big deal? Well, beloved, some of you probably know the answer. I believe you do. Does anybody know the answer? He's referring, what is he referring to? What's it called? You're all afraid to talk. It's okay. Thomas, nothing? Nothing from you, Thomas? I know you know the answer. He's like, you're on your own, pal. Thank you. (laughs) Peter is referring, and it's okay. Peter is referring to the Davidic covenant. That's what he's talking about. And that is God's promises to King David, when King David was still alive, through Nathan the prophet, found in 2 Samuel 7. Oh, that's in the Old Testament. That's in the Old Testament. From that book, he will reign forever. The writer says, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, from that book, it's quoted, chapter 7 is one of the most significant passages concerning the kingdom of God 
in the Bible. With the Davidic covenant, God promises David a dynasty and kingdom that will never end. Let me read it. Can't dive into it fully. I know if you guys, you guys have done a great job of not looking down at your watches, that's great. I want to encourage you to stay that course. All right. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. We won't deal with it all. When your days, here's the covenant, the heart of it. When your days are fulfilled, through God speaking through Nathan, the prophet, to David, the king. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And then 16. And your house, David, and your kingdom, David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established. How long? Okay, forever. Here, from the book. What's it called again? He will reign forever. It's hard to keep track of everything that's going on in my head. Here it is. David is the focal point, commenting on this section of this covenant. Okay, he's the focal point, but it also extends beyond David's earthly life, since God mentions David's death and coming son. Okay, all right, good, we got it. David's immediate descendant is Solomon, who would build the temple a house. But the forever language of this covenant demands that this passage looks beyond Solomon. God promised David that his house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and his throne shall be established forever. The house is a reference to a dynasty, and a dynasty looks beyond first and second generations. It goes on to say, the kingdom will remain, as we see in this promise, within the line of David. It will, this one will come forth from David. Since both David and Solomon and other descendants of David have died, the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant must be met in one who is eternal. That's the only way. That's the only way that this thing can go on forever. If you're going to have a king that comes from David that rules over a kingdom forever, I'm going to need a forever king. Beyond that, we can't get into it. You need a righteous king, a perfectly righteous king. Because if he's not, then God takes away the kingdom temporarily for their unrighteousness. So how am I going to have a forever kingdom, a kingdom of God? I need a forever king, and I need a perfectly righteous king. All right. Then he says, did David consciously understand this? And he goes on to say, and I agree with him, the best answer is, and this is debated, but the best answer is, is that he did. And then he says in Acts 2, well, that's where we are this morning, Peter explicitly stated that David looked ahead as a prophet, and spoke of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the covenant. According to Peter, David was a prophet who understood a future son would sit on his throne. David possessed prophetic knowledge of Jesus' resurrection. The immortal king. 
He goes on to say further that Jesus is the one to whom the Davidic covenant pointed is explicitly stated, and now I'm going to dive into Christmas. Luke 1, 32-33, another holiday that, and celebration that most of the time for many Christians, they, it's surfacy what they understand about this day. There, the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke 1.32, right? Who's Mary? We know that, New Testament, right? All right, yeah. That one, I'm pretty confident. We know that one. Mother of Jesus. She would give birth to Jesus. Angel Gabriel says to Mary, he will be great. This one in your womb, this one you will bear, give birth to. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he is his father in the sense that he comes forth from him as a descendant. You're like, wait, David's dead. Yes, he's a descendant of David. He's in David's lineage. Verse 33, and he, oh boy, will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Israel, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. No temporary breaks, no destroying, no undoing, no removing. This kingdom comes and stays forever for this one, the descendant of David. All right, I'm going to have to cut. I'm cutting now. Here we go. Cutting some stuff. I hate this. I'm doing it. Thank you, brother. I got one. I got one. The promise that David's, one writer says, the promise that David's house, kingdom, and throne, house, kingdom, and throne will be established forever is significant because it shows that, as we've been looking at, that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David and that he will establish a kingdom from which he will reign. And then he says, the covenant is summarized by the words house, okay, dynasty, in a lineage of David, kingdom, listen, kingdom referring to a people who are governed by a king. It's a, okay. it's a real kingdom. Was David's kingdom real? Did it occupy a territory? Yes. Was it a real throne, not a spiritual throne? Was it a real throne? Yes. A place from which he ruled? Were there real people? In the yeah, citizens of the kingdom, right? Real rule, real reign, right? Physical in an area, in a, a geographical area, all real. It is that very kingdom that will, not that very one, but in that sense, being real, the kingdom of God that will exist in the future with a king. And we know who that king is, right? But what kind of king was David? A human one. So there will be a human king. But this one never dies. Well, that's just because he conquered death. I'm jumping way. I'm just jumping away. So I'll end up saying something I already said, but I'm feeling it now. He will never die. Listen. And if the promise is to us as well to be in that kingdom with him, we're going to get there, then we can never die either. 
Oh, but the problem is you and I are under a curse. Adam was under a curse, and all born out of Adam, extending forth from Adam, which includes you and I, are under that curse. And Christ himself came into the world as a human being. Yeah? But he broke the curse. He dealt with sin, which brought about the curse. He broke the power of sin and of death so that all who are now in him, trusting in him, following him, loving him, having given themselves to him, they too share in this victory. They too have been forgiven of all their sins because if this is going to be a righteous kingdom, and it is, because that's the only way the kingdom of God can extend forever if it is ruled in righteousness, guess what? The citizens have to be righteous too. So you've got two things going on. I've got to deal with their sin. And oh, by the way, this is an eternal kingdom. In order for them to live, it, live in it, I've got to deal with their sin so that the power of death over them will be broken. Okay, hold on. One says, only through the resurrection from the dead, only from the resurrection of the dead. That's really what Peter is saying. Only from the resurrection of the dead could a son of David rule forever over God's people. That's why we know David isn't talking about himself. His grave's over there, guys. It's not him, nor was it anybody that we know of that fought. Solomon died. Kings after him died. This is the one. He's not dead. He got back up out of, and he didn't like get back up and go, oh, oh, no. It wasn't like a temporary thing. The guy's alive. He's good and alive. He's immortal. This is the one. This is the king that we've been waiting for, who will establish the kingdom that we've been waiting for. Here we go. Some passages, just a sprinkling. I'm just going to read them, probably. Isaiah 9. Now, with just some of that, and I, like I said, I wish we could spend weeks doing this. And talking about this, 75% of the Old Testament, we'd go through all of it. We would, concerning the kingdom of God. But a sprinkling of passages, reading them now with some of these thoughts in your head. We love this passage at Christmas too. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Yes. That the government, this is a prophetic look forward to the coming one, the Messiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore, once it is established on the earth as promised in the Old Testament. People get a little confused. They think the kingdom of God is right now here on the earth. It's not. It's not. If you think this is the kingdom, wow, you have a poor opinion of the righteous kingdom of God. Nor are we going to be the ones who usher it in, my friends. The only one to usher it in will be the king himself, who we're waiting for. To come back and bring it to pass and begin his rule and reign. In a real kingdom, in a real land, with real people, like with flesh and blood. That can eat broiled fish like Jesus did. I'm sorry, baby. 
or something else, steak, I'm sure, or something like that. I'm sure they'll have that in the kingdom. Listen, so here, another sampling, Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Yahweh, God, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He's saying someone, a person from the Davidic line, a righteous someone, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness and here you go. Don't miss it. Pull out your markers. Underline it. Where? In heaven? See, I'm just going to tell you, I, I think not only are Christians not as motivated as they should be to follow Christ with everything they've got, uh, and I think even other people are like, eh, about Christianity because, you know, what are we talking yeah, you need to be saved. And I get it, from hell, for sure, scary, very scary, horrifying, terrible, yes. But then where do you get to go? You know, in heaven. You know, that's where you go, heaven. What's that? I don't really know. It's like, you know, you know you've seen the pictures. There's a golden gate, and then they open the gate, and of course Peter's there. I don't know, because, you know, he's in charge or something, I guess. And then you come in, and then you look for a nice cloud, and you float around, you do your thing, you know? And there's great choirs up there, and all this stuff, nonsense, 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 nonsense. And what am I in? A spirit? Am I in like a, am I, is it my soul? Yeah, your soul. He's just up there. It's floating around. And that's it. You, your soul, other souls. And, you know, you kind of look like people, I'm sure. But, uh, but you're not. You know, you're just a soul. And, well, wait a minute. There's a resurrection. Yeah, we do get resurrected at some point, you know. But then, I guess, yeah, we get our bodies. And then they float around, I guess. Then we're in our bodies floating. Listen. Listen, there's nothing exciting. There's not, it's, not, it's not really exciting to me. Let me tell you why. God made you for this world. Go back to Genesis. He made you. This place is messed up, but my goodness, it is still glorious even though it's messed up. I love food, as you can tell. <laughs> Allie, is it, she keeps saying, look at your button at the bottom. It's starting to pop. That's what she told me. I'm like, I can't close my coat to cover it up. I'm too hot. I love food. You love food? I love, I love seeing this world. I love tasting this world. I love feeling this world. I love it. I, I really like it, I should say. I love Jesus. I really, really like it. And God has made me to like it. He's made me to enjoy this creation. And this creation's broken. It's broken. Listen, I don't want to be up in heaven with Allie and, and I can't rub my skin up against her. Don't get weird. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Even the touch of skin on skin, of human skin, and all that goes through you, the feeling, the closeness, the, all that. I want that. And God has promised me that. But without sin and without the fear of death, without it ever being taken away, I'll have that in Christ, in his kingdom, on the earth. <laughs> it is. Jeremiah 23, 6, he goes on to say, no, I'll skip that. Daniel 7, 14, another looking forward. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. He's looking forward now to the Messiah, to the one spoken of and promised by God. As you see laid out, as God progressively reveals his plan for humanity to redeem them and make the world new and to make humanity new that they might live in this new world forever with their forever king. Oh, my and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. How long is that? 
Yeah. Which shall not pass away, in case you missed it. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Not this one. Not this one. People get so worked up about the United States. You know, we're kind of a young country. We've only been here so long. You know, lots of countries have fallen. Yeah, it could happen. But this is not my kingdom that I'm living for. I mean, I don't want it to fall. I love America, right? I don't want it to fall. I should say I like America. I'm trying to change my wording. I like it. I like it a lot. I really like this country. But there's no promise that it won't fall. I do have a promise concerning the country to come, the kingdom to come, and the king who will rule over it. I have a promise concerning that one. It will never fall. Once established, it will never fall. And as much as I like America, it ain't nothing compared to the kingdom of God. Not even close. Because this place is messed up too. So then we jump. We're almost done, I promise. We jump. Listen, you're keeping all this in mind. You're starting to read the, the book, the, new, the, the Bible. Think about this, think about this, think about this. This should be in every person's Easter basket. Now, that's for me, kid. You have the Easter eggs there. That's, that's just for daddy. All right. Here's the old, 75% of the story. The new opens. What's it open with? What's the first book of the New Testament? Huh? Matthew. Very first book. Very first verse. It's a genealogy, but don't miss it. Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Where'd the boy come from? First thing. And we're like, ah, son of David. Eh? The son of David, that boom! You're like, what? He's the son of David, but not like Solomon. Solomon's dead. He's the risen son of David, the ever-living son of David. He is the one, the king of kings. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory. Now, this is at the end, near the end of the letter, the gospel. Now, this is future again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, that has not happened yet, okay? Just so we're clear, that hasn't happened. That's future. Then he will sit on his glorious throne, the Davidic throne. It hasn't happened yet. He hasn't come with his angels in all of his glory. He came as a baby, born in a stable, grew up in a know-nothing town, and was murdered. But when he comes in his glory with all of his angels, and there's only, you only need one to wipe out humanity, you know what I'm saying? He comes in power. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Just so you know, for the story, you don't want to be a goat. The goat is the unbeliever. The goat is the rejecter of him. The one who refused, as my brother said earlier, to bow his knee in worship. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, right here by his side. 
but the goats on the left cast away. Then the king will say to those, who? The king. To those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is not him up in heaven doing a count at the gate. Sheep, go, sheep, go. This is his return to earth. To bring his judgment. Long delaying that judgment. So that many will come to him. And call upon him in faith. And be saved. And by being saved. Made citizens of this future kingdom. That they may not be cast away to the left. But that they might be put on his right. And welcomed into this kingdom. His kingdom that has been prepared for them. A kingdom on earth. A glorious kingdom. A a righteous kingdom. And a kingdom that we will enter into in resurrected, glorified bodies just like our Lord. So that we will never, ever depart this kingdom. But for always and forever be with our king. And not only that, my friends, but with one another. Revelation 5. And they sang a new song, looking forward, saying... Worthy are you to take the scroll, speaking of Christ, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on, yeah, on the earth. And finally, they shall reign. Now, that may be, you're like, what? Did we just change the story? I, we were talking about the king, and he will reign. Wait a minute. He just said, the people of God will reign on the earth. What? Wait, what's going on? Well, all who are in Christ have been forgiven and clothed in the righteousness of Christ and have been adopted into the family of God and made joint heirs of Christ. And what, yes, it is, and what they inherit is not a temporary inheritance, you know? I mean, I hope to leave something to my kids when I die, but it probably won't be enough to get them through their whole life. I'm not sure. I doubt it, really. But even if it were, what if it was a fortune? You're still going to die. You won't be able to enjoy it forever. That's not the case here, beloved. That's not the case. And I, I have nothing to give compared to what my Lord will give to me, and I will have it forever. I will enjoy it forever and not like floating around in some spirit going, I can't even feel this. I can't. These strawberries keep falling out of my mouth. No, no. (laughs) This is why I I love, anyway, okay. So, but here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Finally, I close with this. 2 Timothy 2.8, the Apostle Paul, and this is why we got to get this, we got to know this, we got to understand the whole story, the whole story, because then, like, why are you so crazy? About Jesus. I'm crazy for other, about you. Why? Why are you like that? Is it because you're a pastor? It's not. I was like this before I became a pastor. I was. I've just been reading the story a lot. And it's, it's, I, it's amazing. And it has, it, it helps me so much. You know, not, it, it just loosens my grip on this world and just continues to redirect my focus and my priorities. How could it not? Well, how could it not? Because you don't know the whole story or you don't know it very well. 
You got like a superficial understanding. Yeah, Jesus died and rose again. Yes, and? And? Yeah, that, that was in the last 30 minutes of the movie. You, what about the first part? I slept. Ah, go back and watch it. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 12. Paul is telling Timothy, Paul, Paul's like, I'm suffering. Yeah, he's really sorry. He's about to die. He's about to be killed. This is it. Okay? Why is he suffering? Because he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's telling his, his trusted worker in the faith, Timothy, hey, Timothy, don't back down. Stay strong. Stay the course. Persevere. Share in my sufferings and the sufferings of Christ. Okay? Suffer as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then, in that context, he says, but in, who's going to do that? I'll tell you who does that. The one who does this. Eight, remember Jesus Christ. He suffered too, yeah? How long was his suffering? Forever? Temporary. It was temporary. Remember Jesus Christ. They murdered him. They killed him. Risen from the dead. Death could not hold him. And look what he says. Look what he says. Why does he throw this in there? Why does he just keep, why does he just, right after he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, as preached to my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. That's a significant statement because of what the Old Testament says. As preached in my gospel. Well, that, that floors me because that means his gospel included the reality about David. All right? Just believe in Jesus. Okay. You do need to believe in Jesus. You do need to repent and trust in him. But who is him? Where did he come from? What's this all about? And then he says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And he was, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What do you think he's talking about? Beloved, he's talking about the kingdom. Let me prove it. The saying is trustworthy. Worthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And people just like limit that to like, I'm living with Jesus. You are. But it's a, it's a permanent life. And it's not this one, but it's the one in the kingdom to come that has been set aside for you. This one's temporary. You have your purposes here, your mission. Make disciples of Christ. Tell them about the coming kingdom of God and how they can enter in. And it's only through Jesus and faith in him. And then he says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, if we persevere, if we don't abandon our Lord, if we end as we begin, trusting in him, we will also reign with him. That could not be a more, listen, that's what he's saying, Timothy. Suffer as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. He's a descendant of David. He's the offspring of David. He is the risen king, and he has secured a place for you in his kingdom where you too will also reign with him. Not floating around some sky like, what am I reigning over? There's no, I guess I got those clouds over there. No. No, man, because that just does nothing for me. You've got... We've got, we're talking the earth, beloved. And for that matter, and it's conjecture, but why not the universe? 
We reign with him. I hope that you are one of the sheep and not one of the goats. You won't get in if you're a goat. If you're rejecting Jesus Christ, you won't get into this coming kingdom. You will be, you will be pushed off. And as you read more of the story, you find out where you're pushed off to is not a place any human being should want to ever even think about, let alone go and dwell forever. It's a place of, it's everything opposite of the kingdom. No hope, no blessing from God. Pain and suffering and a death-like existence forever. And no Jesus, no fellowship with him. No knowing the king, no reigning with the king. I hope if you're not a sheep this morning, you'll consider seriously, seriously becoming one. Giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, looking to him, trusting in him, knowing that you are guilty before God, that you are a sinner, just like all of us, and you are without hope, and you can't do anything to make yourself a citizen of this kingdom. You can't make yourself right with God. You can't get rid of your sin. You can't do it. You need someone from the outside to do it for you, and he has through his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. But you have to believe it, and you have to trust in him, turn to him, and ask him to save you. And if you do that, sincerely, genuinely, Humbly, you do that. He will. He will. He will save you through and through. And he'll stamp on you, although you can't see it right now. Citizen of my kingdom. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the resurrection and and all that it means. So much to glory in when we think of you. We think all that you think of all that you have done and 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 all that you are going to do. Thank you, Father, that you have saved me and many in here. And Father, I just pray for those who they are still in rebellion. They still they haven't given their life to Christ. They may know of him to some degree, but they have not turned to him in faith and repentance and, and cried out for the Savior, the Savior King to save them. And I pray that, God, you might work in their hearts right now to bring that about. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.